So sequential marketing is, so the way most real estate investors go about marketing and they forget their marketing company first and foremost, they throw crap at the wall and they hope it, it sticks. That could be cold calling estimate, whatever they're doing. There's no, there's no method to it. They just are hoping they grab the low hanging fruit. And what ends up happening is these investors end up in 20 different markets because they're just grabbing low hanging fruit instead of going deep in one market. So I sat down with you know a guy who's a, who owns a data company. He explained to me how just how much inventory trades off market in one metro every single year. And I looked at it and I went, we could do 20 million in assignment fees in just King County, Washington a year and barely even be on the radar because of the amount of homes that trade off market. And once I saw that, I go, okay, how do we come up with the, how do we make sure we're touching every lead in a way where we have meaningful conversations with every lead? And that's the problem is, you know, you're missing 95% of your data set that you're paying money for and paying the market to, because you're not actually working those in a way where you're getting a yes or no from everyone. So a sequential marketing funnel is just a streamlined way to get in touch with every single prospect. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, It's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to Passive Wealth Principles. I'm your host, Jake Harris. Today, I have a fantastic, I say that every time, every episode is fantastic. In my opinion, part of it is probably because I'm on there and just that is my own uh, opinion is I love getting information and hearing these stories. So Cole Rudd Johnson has, he's a young kid, but he's super smart. He is super amazing. The way that he has just systematically built a business That just happens to be in real estate. And and actually, the business that he's building is more about the marketing, the more about the systemizing and growing and scaling his organization. And so it happens to be in wholesaling. It happens to be in understanding sequential marketing and and putting things into a framework and optimizing that and growing and eliminating friction points. So all of those things that we're going to dive into this episode is unbelievable. He is wise beyond his years. There's so many different nuggets. So listen for that. Listen for the sequential marketing, the way that they, you know, really go after someone as if they owe them $50,000. And so tremendous amounts of information. Check out this episode. Listen to the very end because some of the best nuggets are at the very end and go ahead and follow Cole as well. Welcome to the Passive Wealth Principles.
Cole, my dude, I am excited to get a chance to, to connect. I've just been seeing you from afar. And actually I was texting uh, Matt Buck uh, the other day and I was like, Hey, do you know Cole? And he's like, I do. And I actually reached out to you on Instagram and connected up. We have, you know, Brandon Turner and some other mutual buddies in common. Um, I'd love to dive in a little bit and spend a few minutes, just your backstory. You know, you're young kid that's hustling and crushing things. You've, you're wholesaling hundreds and hundreds of off-market deals and you have a big vision for 23. You're going to go out and do $10 million plus in wholesaling. And you're, you got this awesome, you know, like organization down in San Diego. So give me a little bit the, the, before the Genesis of, of, you know, how did you get into this, this business? And then, uh, maybe we can talk nerdy wholesaling, you know, tips, tricks, and, and tactics. Cause I know you have a lot of them. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me on, man. I'm super pumped to, uh, to chat and see where this goes. So yeah, my, I guess my origin story, so to speak, is I, uh, I did a running start in high school. Um, I never really liked struck the structured school system or anything like that. And so what that is, at least in Washington state where I'm from, I live in San Diego now, but in Washington, what that means is your junior and senior year of high school, you take classes um, at a community college or a college, whatever's closest. You still do high school sports, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I did that for two years and you leave, you graduate high school with two years of college done. So then I went down, I was a basketball player. So I went down and had a, a walk-on spot at a school in uh, LA called the Zusa Pacific. So I went down for school um, that year and towards the end of the year, I, um, I just was sitting, I remember sitting in a, it was a history class or something like that. And I was like, well, I don't know, what am I doing here? Like, yeah, I love playing basketball, but even that, like, you know, my dream of going to the NBA isn't probably not happening. <laughs> I mean, I've, I definitely put time in and I love, I love basketball. I still play this all the time. But um, at that point I was like, this probably wasn't, my, my parents raised me well too, where they, they were definitely covering most of my school, but they, they had me pay about five to 10 grand a year as a skin in the game to make sure it's what I wanted to do. And so, you know, that second semester I was there, randomly one day, Tuesday, I went home from class, packed up my car and drove home. You know, I did the two day drive back to Seattle where I, where I lived and um, or being on the way home, like, I don't know, what am I doing? I, I had gotten my real estate license this, this summer prior. So I was, I was licensed. I was like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to become the next millionaire real estate agent. I'm next to Ryan Serhant. Um, that's going to be what I do. I got up there, um, you know, 20 was that must have been 20, end of 2016, beginning of 2017. I was, um, I'd gotten home and I did the normal broker thing where I did open houses. I, did, I called expired listings. I was doing everything that I thought and what I'd been told by Keller Williams, my first brokerage that I needed to do to do deals. And, um, I thought the brokerage was the problem. So then I moved brokerages four times. And by my fourth brokerage, I was at a place called Caliber and they, they had this cool model where, you know, they were going to the auction every week and the night before the auction, they were bringing in buyers and pre-selling them auction deals. So a buddy, Ian Morell, who I still, who, doesn't live in Washington anymore, but I still talk to him. He was the guy that ran that shop. I hung my license there and kind of got to see their model. That's the first time I saw, hey, these guys are crushing it in real estate, but they're not brokers going and sitting open houses and doing all the stuff I hate doing. So uh, coincidentally, two nights later, I was at Applebee's with a buddy of mine, Paul, who was my first business partner. Um, we're no longer together, but he was my first partner. We're sitting there having you know, the two for 20, the Applebee's special. And I pulled up on my Instagram and there's this guy um, who was on market, young guy, year or year or two older than me at the time. So I was 18, seven, I was like 18 and a half. He was uh, probably 20 and he had this $40,000 check on his, on his, on his page. And he was like, look at this check, 40 grand. And I was like, 40 grand. That amount of money at that time seemed just like, I was like, if I had 40 grand, I'm, I can retire for life. That's kind of how I felt at the time. And so I hit him up, went and saw their office. I'm like, oh, these guys have, you know, I can definitely do this if these guys are doing it. So I, uh, after that, you know, I, my buddy, you know, my Paul, he was a UW football player. He was a backup running back. 
but I had some meniscus issues. So he dropped out literally that week. And I, we full on, we sat in my parents' attic um, pretty much. And we cold called the list of Excel properties we got from the title company for pretty much six months before we got our first deal, before we went out and sought out knowledge or training or education or anything like that. And that first deal came, it was a, uh, ended up actually being a broker that bought it to us in Seattle. It was 105 grand. And uh, that was, that was when my life changed forever. I remember getting that check and going, holy crap, this is a, uh, this is life-changing money. And then right away, which I think is, you know, kind of corresponding to how I was raised but right away, instead of, you know, going, blowing the cash, I sat down and I said, how do I turn this into a business? And that was the first step in the long journey to uh, where I'm at now talking to you right now. That I love hearing that. And uh, man, uh, that rush of that first deal and, and, and obviously also a big deal. My, my first kind of deal was like 15 grand. And I was like barely running out. I ran out of money. You know, I'd, I'd actually moved to Phoenix and I was flipping a house and I was doing construction in the Bay area. And my plan was to fly down and fix it up. You know, I got laid off. So I had like all the last money I had total and I just moved. I took it, my truck and moved down there. I had, you know, no mattress, no refrigerator, no anything. The, the realtor gave me a mattress. So I was sleeping on the mattress on the floor with a styrofoam container, you know, putting my food in there while I was fixing up the house. And I was just like racing to run out of money. And I got it on the market and I sold it. And I was like that 15 grand. And it was like, oh, I can do this. So, but like you went a totally different path. Like you didn't go buy the house. You actually went and put together a wholesale. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like years later, and this was early 2000s. Um, I started figuring out how to, you know, like door knock and try to get people to, you know, assume or do subject to and some other things like that. But, you know, there was just the market was so red hot. There wasn't, you know, need to go any other places. So, like, how did you get started doing wholesaling? Like, you know, was it just that caliber guys that you saw them doing it and you're like, oh, this is the path for me because so many other people started with actually flipping the house, going and buying it. And again, that was my own story was just buying it. I had no idea that anything else existed beyond that. Yeah. Well, I think a big part of it is like, I'm not like a, I wouldn't call myself a real estate guy. Like I, I, I don't even like love real estate. I love business. So I, from, from the get go, that's how I was. Like, I just liked business. My brain just works well with systems, operations, team building, and just business. And, you know, that ended up being the vehicle that I got exposed to at that age. Cause you know, my, my mom was a broker. My brother was a broker. My great grandma opened one of the first brokers in Seattle. My grandma was a broker. So everyone's brokers, right? No one had gotten to the off market space. So I didn't really have any guidance from them. But in terms of like a business, that's, the, I grew up around houses. And, you know, so I knew basic terminology. I had my broker's license and it just made the most sense. If I, you know, I wanted to go into business, that was going to be my first vehicle. And the whole, you know, going to get a hard money loan and flipping a house didn't seem like a, you know, the sales cycle is longer, right? And when you're 18 and 19, you're looking at how can I get paid quick, right? I want to move out of my parents' house. I want to show all these girls that I have a nice BMW, blah, 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 blah. Um, you want to get paid quick. And so I went to, you know, I can get paid in 30 days of this whole thing. thing. Um, you know, obviously it took longer because you had to learn how to do it, but um, the fix and flip thing just seemed, you know, at that point, uh, a little bit of a stretch for me mentally. I just couldn't wrap my brain around doing that myself at 18. I know guys that do that now and that's beautiful too, but, um, and still to this day, I, I hate flipping houses. Like we do, we do easy ones when, when they when they come across our plate, but I like the business and operation and that side of uh, what I do. And it just hap so happens to be that real estate's the product that, uh, you know, we're contracting and selling. So uh, I guess that's the best way I can answer that is it never really is like a conscious decision. Hey, I'm going to wholesale instead of flip or wholesale instead of go build the portfolio, do short-term rental. It was just, Hey, I want to start doing business. I understand this product. I now understand that you can, there's people that want it off market and the, the fees are 
30 to 50 grand, the profit margins are pretty insane. And we were in a historically hot market at the time. So I was like, all oh, these things line up. Why not go try you know, wholesale some houses? That's awesome. So uh, maybe let's fast forward a little bit. You're, you're 105 grand. I've heard it in a little bit of your story, kind of like that wasn't just like a magic. All of a sudden you had 105 grand coming in on every deal now, every other day. So there's a lot of you know things that you had to start figuring out. And that's obviously the, the entrepreneur's journey is oftentimes is you just figure out the next step. You know, like, oh, I need to do this now. And then oh, I need to do this now. So talk me through like you now starting to scale. Like now, how did you start getting more rhythm, more business? What was it that you had to discover? Or maybe some of those mistakes that you made in your business that led you to it becoming a business? Yeah. You know, like my, my thesis is you can't really solve as an entrepreneur, you can't solve problems you haven't run into yet. I mean, you can get advice from people that are further along to you, but you don't really know how you're going to solve an individual issue unless you face it yourself. And, you know, I think the reason I've been able to accelerate how I have the past couple of years, because we just pedal to the metal, bring on the stress, bring on the pain, and we'll solve issues as we face them. And I think even going back to 18, I wasn't consciously doing that. But right after my first deal, my partner and I, we went and signed a three-year personally guaranteed office space. And, you know, at that point, you're pretty much guaranteeing, hey, I have to figure this out for three years at least. And I think that was it was risky, but looking back, that was one of the decisions that put me kind of in the driver's seat in terms of having to figure it out. So we signed that office. It took us another three months to get our next deal. I think our next deal was like six grand. And so we're like, man, do we like, what do we do here? And, you know, personally guaranteed doesn't mean anything at that age. Like the worst thing that they were going to come and take from me was like my t-shirts and my shorts. Like I lived at home. There was no real exposure there, but still I was like, oh my goodness, I don't want to go bankrupt at 18, 19 years old. So there's definitely pressure. And then uh, we, we made my first hire, who's now my, now my business partner. He had DM me on um, Instagram, because I'd known Thatch Win really well. Him and my mom had gotten in this business together. And I told Thatch, like, hey, if anyone reaches out, um, I'm hiring, which I don't even know what that meant. I don't know what an SOP was, or I don't know how to train anyone and how to manage anyone. I didn't know what that, I didn't, had no idea how to hire someone. We did. Um, his name is Mike. He's my partner now. And he came in, and we were, me, him, and my partner, Paul, we had this big 2,500 square foot office, and we were all sitting in one room together with like desks facing each other, cold calling. And then we got another deal and that deal led to the next deal. And then we, we went and bought this coaching program and it helped us 5%. We got our next deal. And then um, I would say seven, eight deals in. By that point, I'd gotten pretty good at the systems marketing side of it. And I remember I was at LA Fitness one night and Nate Robbins, who's a Tarl Yarbrough's partner, who are their big investors up in Washington and they run events and stuff. He got on the treadmill next to me and I was like, are you Tarl's partner? And he was like, yeah, who are you? And I was like, well, I'm I'm in real estate. I did the normal spiel about, hey, can we grab coffee, blah, blah, blah. And for some reason, uh, after talking to him about my take on marketing and systems and things like that, he was impressed enough to get me a, uh, a coffee with Tarl. And they pretty much told me, hey, we, we do these all the time. If you bring us a deal and you execute on that, you know, we'll give you some guidance and mentorship. And so I brought him a deal literally the next month that, that we got, really solid probate deal in Tacoma, Washington, that we ended up partnering with them on flipping together. And then by that point, we had built kind of a friendship. Tarl now is like family, very good friend. So he had sent me a text. This is, I was probably, this is probably two years into my journey. So I'm about probably 20, about to turn 21. And he calls me one morning. He's like, Hey, send me 15 grand. I think it was. And I was like, why? I, don't, I barely have 20 grand in my name. And why am I sending you 15 grand? He goes, well, I got you the spot at this, at Brandon Turner's like invite, first ever invite only like Maui mastermind thing with, you know, Ryan Pineda and AJ Osborne and Brandon himself. It, and I was like, okay, I should not have been there, but he got me a spot. And so sent him the money. Again, I, I, I was just getting ready to move out of my parents' house. I'd saved up 20 grand somehow and sent him 15 grand and then paid for flights and hotels somehow and went out there. And um, from there, I met a um, guy named James Daynard, who's now on the, he's a bigger pockets co-host and 
uh, he became a mentor from there. And that's how our business really grew is him, you know, helping us understand how we, how to flip, how to grow a wholesale operation, all, all the things that come with that. And so, yeah, man, it was just taking chances and putting my back against the wall. And that's the, that's really how it, how we continue to grow from there. And then you just meeting the right people. And that's, it's more about who, you know, than what you know in this business and any business. And that's how I've definitely, you know, grown the past couple of years is, you know, getting in that circle through just doing good business and then continue to execute every single day on what we do. That's awesome. And, and maybe that's why I've seen you because that's, I've, I've done the, well, when it, it turned to Sedona, it wasn't the Maui mastermind, it was then Sedona. And so, yeah, that connection. And obviously I think, you know, uh, Tarl does a, a fantastic job of what he does and James and, and others. And uh, obviously that the Pacific Northwest has like a, a pretty legit crew of, of people that are putting things together. So that makes a lot of sense. So like, um, and, and love for this, I know who some of those people are. I know how, you know, how maybe the business works a little bit, but for the audience's sake, um, maybe like start diving in is I think you had some really good points, or at least what you've been putting out there and projecting out into social media is like what you talked about is, you know, passive wealth principles. And what we're kind of talking is like, there is a system to everything. There is a system I just wrote on, on one of my blogs. There's a system for solving a Rubik's cube. It looks super hard if you don't know what you're doing and you go pick it up and you wiggle it around and stuff like that. And you're like, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. And you can spend years and years until you figure out the system. And then when you figure out the system, there's people that can like do Rubik's cubes blindfolded and juggling and jumping up and down and all kinds of crazy things because they know the systems. And you have been at least saying and talking about that. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear your systems. What are you doing that's going to take you now to eight figures and beyond in, in annual kind of fees? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the whole thing with um, you know, the real estate game. Why most people don't get to scale is because there's so many friction points. And that, that's point one. And point two is most people don't really ever make the leap from going you know, from hustler to business owner. And I saw, you know, a guy follow Kent Clothier put out a, a tweet or Instagram a while ago. And he was talking about how, you know, in order for the CEO to live, the hustler has to die. And that's kind of been, you know, the thesis I've been running on the past year, year and a half. And is just, you know, really investing into my education, my skill set as an entrepreneur and a business owner. So I can continue to scale out of that, that hustler seat. Cause that's the only time you can really put, you know, essentially build the machine and then have people come man the machine for you. So you continue to grow as an entrepreneur and your organization can grow. So what we're really looking at to get to that number, right? We know how to do deals. We now know how to hire. Um, obviously, good good talent's a key part of it. Um, but we know how to do deals. We know how to hire. We know how the business works, and we're really good at it. So the only thing we're missing, right, is you know removing friction points. The friction points that we're removing, which I talk a lot about a lot on Twitter, going into twenty twenty three, is first uh, underwriting. The, the main thing that real estate companies fail. I work with a lot of you know hedge funds, family offices now, helping them with deal deal sourcing too, and they have the same issue. I mean, I put out a tweet yesterday, but I'm working right now with a company that has you know, over a hundred million dollars to deploy. And uh, real estate, and I got in, and I, once I saw their operation, their CRM, and everything, it's 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 worse than most solopreneurs we work with in terms of what their their tech stack, their systems look like. And so, you know, if they're having that issue, I know the the normal kind of mom and pop solopreneur investor is having that issue. And so that's the first first thing is underwriting to get enough offers out because you know our KPIs we need to be making twenty to forty solid offers a day to hit the KPIs we need to hit to scale towards that number we want to go to. So. The first thing is uh, that we're doing there is we're bringing in virtual underwriters and we're having an in-house senior underwriter that obviously monitors them, does daily trainings, that kind of stuff. And our model there is if a sales guy, because we run all of our office, we don't, go on, we don't go on appointments. We have boots on the ground if we have to get pictures, but our, guy, our sales guys are in office. So if they're on the phone of the seller and they're ready to, pretty much ready to sign and they want a hard number you know, right away, 
they're able to call into quote, quote unquote our underwriting hotline. And within three to five minutes, they put the seller on hold to him and run over and check on my underwriting department. That underwriter is getting them a solid number in three to five minutes. And to coincide with that, I think that's where our business gets a bad rep because, you know, for example, I saw kind of a quote unquote guru put on, put his KPIs from last year on his Facebook story and his numbers were pretty good. But, you know, in quarter three, he locked up 167 deals and only closed on like 130, only closed on like 17 of those. So he's putting what 125 sellers in a terrible spot um, because he's trying to scale without relieving friction points. And that's how you ruin your brand long-term is, you know, scaling beyond, you know, the friction points that you've gotten past. That's what I'm talking about in terms of like, you can only solve the problems in front of you. Um, you can't ignore them. So that's, that's the first one is having those live underwriters so we can get clean offers out. We're, we close 90 to 95% of the things we put under contract, either ourselves or buyers. We do not put sellers in bad situations. Obviously, things happen from time to time. And you know there is, is, there is instances where bad stuff does happen. We try to still make sure everyone's good walking away from it. The second friction point is just, um, you know, there's so many gurus out there that talk about the secret list, this magic sauce they have to marketing. And you know, just realizing that marketing is very basic. What a lead is to us is someone that verifies their name, their, their company name, or sorry, their name, their email, their phone, and they want to sell in the next six to 12 months. We don't qualify based on price. We qualify based on motivation. And um, that friction point, I guess, so to speak, is it's never really an issue. When I talk to investors, it's never an issue of leads because they can go pay a vendor to bring leads in for them. It's right away how they're building credibility and branding around their company because most people only sell two to three homes in their life. So it's how do we, we, we build a brand and an infrastructure ecosystem where we know this person is being marketed to by 20 companies. How do we make them feel comfortable enough talking to us, especially virtually, as we're going to be their person? And, that, and that's the issue. I think a lot of investors, they focus so much on getting leads in the door and they never focused on you know, what happens at that touch point. And so one, we're making sure our branding is on point. We're doing a lot of stuff now with a kind of a video credibility packet where we're sending them a video now that's kind of going over our company, why they should work with us, past seller examples, all that kind of good stuff. Um, as well as our sales reps are using personalized bomb bomb videos to just break that ice right away because they are virtual. And then on top of that, the other friction point when it comes to marketing is you, it's impossible to get sellers back on the phone once you get a lead submitted, whether it's pay-per-click leader, Facebook leader, cold call leader, texting lead. And we found now it's almost 70% of sellers, no matter how the lead comes in, you're not getting them back on the phone. And if you are, it's not a meaningful, meaningful conversation. So we're switching to live transfers now from our cold call team or S and whatever our inbound or outbound marketing is, they're getting live transfer directly to our sales team. So we eliminate that kind of operational drag between lead and, and getting them back on the phone to have a higher level quote unquote process call and closing call, what we call them in our company. Um, and those are the main three things beyond, you know, just hiring good talent, but that really comes with just, you know, making sure, you know, you have the capital to pay good bases and you, you know, you have a good onboarding process, good training and, and checkpoints and things of that nature. So yeah, man, that, that's the, I guess a quick rundown. I know each of those. Big- yeah, no, I'd love to, to, <laughs> to dive yeah. into some of those things. So you, t- you talked about that, that you're trying to make 20 to 40 offers a day. Um, you've also mentioned some of the things which I, I've noticed as well. Some of these hedge funds have like they don't actually know how real estate works. Like they, they got their MBA from Harvard and they're a wizards at building a pro forma, but don't know anything about like real estate or what makes a value up or down left or right. And so we, we'd sold off a lot of stuff to invitation homes and then colony capital and then Tricon and, you know, 29th street and a bunch of these other groups, you know, over the years. And so I kept like selling them into their portfolios until they, they wanted me to actually run their acquisitions. But that was where I was like, mm, I'm going to do my own thing. And I decided to go out and leave kind of this family office that I was at and go start my own company. Cause I was like, wow, if these guys want me to run it, I, I might know something. 
Uh, some of my buddies that took some of those offers have had multiple seven and eight figure exit checks, you know, on some of these portfolios of billions of dollars they've placed. So maybe at least in the short term, that was a better path. I probably should have taken that. My wife probably would have been happier, but long-term I, I love my business that I'm building out. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, Two of the most common questions I get asked are, where can I find good deals to invest into? And is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. I'd love to dive into like, what does your tech stack look like that allows you and what are your some of your kind of key KPIs that you're do, dealing with and how does that help you kind of scale your system? Yeah, I mean, KPIs for us are, you know, part department dependent. So we, we really, we treat this like a couple of different companies, right? First off, we're a marketing company and we're a sales organization um, on both ends, acquisitions and dispositions. Then we're, you know, we're just an operations company as well. So we, we kind of break up KPIs depending on the department. In terms of tools that we're using, they're really liking, you know, on the marketing end, there's a bunch of new predictive data that's coming out. There's a company called Weiss Analytics that was founded by Alan Weiss, who uh, um, he was a part of another big, he's one of the leading experts on just data on single family real estate. So they have a couple of cool tools that, that we're looking at using in 2023. Valpro Plus is one of them. That tool, they essentially rank based on, um, pro- they, they take real-time property images from satellite that they pay for, and they rank the exterior and the roofing material of the home. And they give you a likely to sell based on that. They rank them from negative six to six, I think. And uh, so we know buying the bottom 20% in terms of quality. That's one thing we're going to go for. Second thing they have is called ListScan. So they actually plug into your MLS provider via an API, very easy to do. And they're going to go through and rank every single day, um, you know, the best deals to buy off market off currently listed on MLS. Um, So those are two tools we're looking to get more offers out. We're doing a lot of B2B stuff now. So we're trying to focus a lot on, you know, going after um, hard money companies, now that investors are struggling picking up stuff that their buyers aren't doing as well with going directly to um, other types of lenders we're going directly to uh, agents a lot more now just on the b2b side to get more inventory in the door it's lower cost and then we're doing the same marketing we've always done we we, we blast we've done tv ads pay-per-click seo facebook cold calling sms we we're completely outsourced in the cold calling side now because that again is a separate business um, so we use a company called easy button leads for that which i have a, a small minority uh, ownership stake in and uh, yeah, I mean, our tech stack's not that complicated. We use Slack for in- internal team communication, even though we're in office. We underwrite on, um, we use Google Sheets for our underwriting calculator. We use, we're moving over to Salesforce for our CRM, but we use Podio right now. Our dialer, we use uh, call tools for our the agents we do have. Um, internally, we use smartphone for, you know, texting, email, phone calls with sellers. Like our tech stack's nothing crazy. It's just, 
you know, the automations between, we really want our people only working on, um, you know, tasks that require higher level decision-making. Everything else is automated via uh, technology or automation or a virtual assistant. Um, so that's, you know, best way I can answer that. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, overall to where we're going, like I said, it's just those friction points get removed more so by training and just little tweaks than anything. And I think that's, that's one thing I'll tell any investor, like you're not that far away from what you want your organization to look like. You're one or two hires and a couple changes in your internal systems and processes. Um, Cause sometimes people just like, they get to A to Z. Sometimes there's, there's, there's system set up. So they go A to C, back to B to D, back to B. And instead of going sequentially all the way through each step that needs to happen in their business. And that's prim- primarily what I spend my time on now is consulting, you know, real estate entrepreneurs from the solopreneur to private family offices on, you know, building that out because they don't have that. Um, it's a big need and they can't automate real estate. Like they can really, they can, they can automate a tech company because there's just a different sale. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're, what we're doing right now to head that direction. So is there, and you briefly kind of touched on it, like you said, you're, you know, trying to aim for the bottom 20% um, or like, what is your ideal kind of deal size? Or is it, I mean, you, you mentioned motivation, your, you know, motivation of the sellers, the, the key most important factor, but like when you're scraping data and trying to target some of these, there's some nuance that you're, you're aggregating and, and aiming for, at least in, in the start. So what is that, that you guys have found that's been successful for you? Yeah. So when it comes to like outbound marketing, a lot of investors get tied up in like buying a divorce list, pre-foreclosure list, bankruptcy list. And you know, what I tell people that I talk to podcasts, social media, wherever is that, you know, most data companies suck. No matter how good the data company is, they all suck at the end of the day. Most of their data sucks, you know, so it's not about finding one list or the other. It's more about stacking as many of them as you can. And then, so what we do, for example, like what, what's a high quality lead for us? It's someone that shows up on four or more lists. So when we grab all the 30, 40, 50 different lists that we can buy, we can find, we throw them all into a list stacker. You know, for us, the people that show up on more than four are going to be higher priority because most likely, yeah. Three out of the four might not be accurate, but one of those four is probably going to be a list that they're actually on. Um, so we just like to stack the odds in our favor. And that's all you can really do as an investor when it comes to data is you know, there's no really accurate data company. We've tested them all that are out there and market themselves and they're all pretty bad. So it's about giving yourself the best chance you can to prioritize leads. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the name of the game. There's no real fancy way to do it. It's just you get as many pain points you can. Um, you rank obviously, yeah, using new tools like Valpo or Press, but I bet you it'll be the same thing where it doesn't have that much of an effect on anything. Um, but you know, just giving us another pain point uh, more than anything lets us prioritize where we spend our dollars. Well, you can always use the Zestimate. You, you saw that Zillow did that; yeah. that it, it worked out really well for them. So, <laughs> and you know, the avatar we're going after is you know, it's you know, there's, there's very distressed homes and there's homes that are clean and simple, but for whatever reason, they just want out. Like we just yeah, we just did a flip where. A guy wanted to sell it for the same price he bought it for in 08, just because he was in the military. Our sales rep was in the military and he didn't want anything to do with it anymore. He lived out of the state. And so it's, it's all just, we don't really go after, you know, type of home or, you know, condition of home. It's more so motivation. We also don't like, Washington's not a big like subject to market. Like you just know, you don't find it in Washington like you do in Phoenix and places where the rents and asset prices match up a little better. Um, so we don't really target that. Our main action strategy right now is wholesale 95% and then we flip the 5% super easy three month turn projects that you're in and out with no exposure. Cause again, we don't, we're not really a real estate company where, you know, we're a business that transacts real estate. It's a little different model for us. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And as far as I, I know, you've done a lot of stuff in Seattle. I mean, that's where you're you're kind of from. Is that going to be your continued your core focus, or is to get to the next level? Are you opening up new markets? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a I'm starting to have to say no to a lot of stuff. That's the hardest part. Is like I get more known and I get out there is saying no to opportunity because. You know, every single, I had a conversation this week with a, you know, a company that's, you know, going out and raising 200 million and they say, Hey, we want you guys to be, you know, co-GPs with us on this fund. And you guys source one to 50 unit multifamily. We'll do all the financing. We'll run the, we'll run it in three to seven years. We'll exit to, you know, institutional buyer and you guys will get a huge check. And the day later I get a call from a different buddy who does self-storage. He's like, Hey, f- let's partner on self-storage deal. Pretty much the same opportunity, but in self-storage. So I'm, you know, how we're positioning ourselves in 2023 is continue to grow our SFR side, our team. And that's, a, that's our baseline business. There's no reason to not continue to grow that because we're good at it. Um, and what we learned there ends up translating well. And then secondly, we're taking our top talent and, you know, my partner, Mike, and we're kind of going to be mercenaries next year. We're probably are going to take that opportunity and one or two other ones. And we're going to go source, um, you know, larger asset class and, you know, leverage our, our skills into an opportunity like that. And then third thing I focus a lot of time on, you know, now is, Know, helping um, companies, if we don't partner with them, get there in terms of I'll go in and I'll do a full systems marketing revamp and get them to a place with automation and, and tech where they can you know source as many deals as they want to whatever asset class they're focusing on. So that's that's a need. That's how we're positioning ourselves. Even in our single family side, the stuff we learn there translates really, really well. And everyone needs that. No matter how, what I'm trying to find is all these funds that have $100 million, 50 plus million, they don't want to source deals. They want to just write checks. And so there's a huge opportunity for anyone listening to this. So like talk about passive wealth principles, you know, instead of, I think rentals are great, but instead of focusing on buying single family rentals, if you focus your time, energy, and effort on learning how to source deals, these funds are out there looking for guys like you and to write you massive checks to go out and do it for them. And I think that's, I, I don't know how long the opportunity will last. I think eventually these companies will figure it out. But right now we're in, even with the market doing what it's doing, we're in kind of a, a gold rush right now opportunity, I think of working with these institutional buyers that have deep pockets, but they're coming to the small operator and saying, Hey, I've, I've even heard stories out there of these companies coming in and writing operators checks in a seven figure range to the front payroll, the front operations, the front marketing, just because they need the deal flow. Cause they buy on long-term yield. Um, they just need deal flow. They'll overpay. Um, they have to spend their investors money. And so I think it's a unique opportunity for people listening to this. If you really master um, off market deal sourcing systems and all that kind of stuff, it's, you can kind of uh, write yourself a blank check in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's and, and I actually echo that because I know of a lot of people and that's how they kind of approached us, that we were some of the only people doing it. And there was a lot of people that had no idea what they were doing, you know, or realtors that projected that they, you know, knew how to buy houses or source deals. And so there is a tremendous amount of opportunity in that space if you can, you know, systematize. Uh, and grow your organization. And, and I think that also makes sense for you as far as, you know, because I'm diving in a lot of these other things as well, is figuring out and owning kind of our leads, owning our leads and being able to uh, generate them. And actually one of the businesses that I, uh, I own a few different businesses, but one of them I was sitting down and I was like, hey, I know this is a service-based business, but we need to have a place to where we control and own our leads, like own our how many impressions, where we're doing that. There's so many other things like this, this new world, the pay-per-click world and the, you know, the mailers and, you know, you just have to, the world is overwhelmed with information, fire hose of stuff. And so if you're not top of mind, like people aren't looking at 10 different options, they're looking at like one or two. 
And if you're not the one or two and of top of mind, you're going to lose out on unbelievable amounts of opportunity. And I think the real opportunity uh, moving into 2023 and beyond is because of the amount of information out there across YouTube and social media, the money's made in implementation. Um, you know, so I have a few companies too, and, and service businesses, and we, you know, we we service solar companies, other industries as well. Like that's my primary message. That's why that's kind of my my model. Uh, anyone watching this, if you go to all, any of my social medias, I'm giving away everything we do. And then what I sell is I sell implementation. If that's to a hedge fund that needs their systems and marketing set up, if that's to an investor that wants to, to join our coaching group to learn how to source more deals, if that's someone that needs more leads and needs our, our call center business, you know, for our real estate company, we kind of take the same model as sellers where we're at, we have a very kind of opposite of sales approach. A lot of people where we're giving them facts and backing down saying, you make a decision and obviously still guiding them using sales principles, but that's because we're in the age of information, like implementation is what people are going to pay for because people are inherently lazy. Um, and also like, like you were saying with the Rubik's cube, like usually there is a pretty easy system to solve any issue out there. And if you figure that system out, um, people will come and pay you to solve their Rubik's cube. And even if they have the information to do it, they won't do it themselves. Um, so that's, that's where I think the opportunity is, especially the social media is, you know, build a brand around information and, you know, build a, an income around implementation. You had another point of something that you mentioned about was how you do some sequential marketing. Yep. I thought that was a, a, you know, a framework. And obviously you talked about it, your marketing company or part of, you know, a one of many, but talk to me about and explain sequential marketing and how that translates to all businesses and why they should understand that. Yeah. So sequential marketing is, so the way most real estate investors go about marketing and they forget their marketing company first and foremost, they throw, throw crap at the wall and they hope it, it sticks. That could be cold calling SMS, whatever they're doing. There's no there's no method to it. They just are hoping they grab the low hanging fruit. And what ends up happening is um, these investors end up in 20 different markets because they're just grabbing low hanging fruit instead of going deep in one market. So I sat down with you know a guy who's a, who owns a data company. He explained to me how just how much inventory trades off market in one metro every single year. And I looked at it and I went, we could do 20 million in assignment fees in just King County, Washington a year and barely even be on the radar because of the amount of homes that trade off market. And once I saw that, I go, okay, how do we come up with the, how do we make sure we're touching every lead in a way where we have meaningful conversations with every lead? And that's the problem is, you know, you're missing 95% of your data set that you're paying money for um, and paying to market to because you're not actually working those in a way where you're getting a yes or no from everyone. So a sequential marketing funnel is just a streamlined way to get in touch with every single prospect. You know, for us, that's, we build it out inside of our list stacker and it's built with automation. So leads through leads move through that automatically. But an, an example of that is, you know, you buy a list. Right away, you have, you have two different things that happen. You have records with numbers, records without numbers. So what do you do without records without numbers? Most investors will mail all of them. Well, is that a good use of your marketing dollars? Probably not. So right away, we're breaking that down, adding other filters on it to make sure they're actually motivated leads, and then mailing the ones we can't get numbers on. The ones we do have numbers on, we're cold calling and texting all of them a certain amount of time, say five to 10 times, depending on the market and the asset class. And after we touch them five, six, seven, eight, nine times, um, we're going to move them to what we call phase two prep when we're going and finding through a different source, keep tracing them again, running through the same process over and over again through every, every phase has different steps. And then finally mailing the ones we can't get in contact with and then doing deep prospecting, which is, you know, finding relatives, business partners, owners, and giving yourself a chance. And, you know, the framework there that I developed that I asked people, is if you know a seller named Dave, let's say he was ready to sell at a discount, it's a $50,000 wholesale fee or a hundred thousand dollar flip profit. If you got in contact with him, and he's your one seller, you're probably going to cold call him and then text him and then knock on his door and then send him his mailer and then call his sister and then call his 
uh, business partner and then call his ex-wife. Like you're going to get in contact with that guy. If he's your one lead, you know, he's a $50,000 check. If you get in contact with him. So it's how do we treat our whole pipeline like that at scale? And that's what sequential marketing framework is and why I talk about it. I like that. And actually I'm going to say, I'm going to add to it is like, treat it like that guy owes you $50,000. Yeah. Like yeah, that guy owes you. He's, he wants to give you $50,000. He owes it to you. And so you got to track him down. So exactly what you said, you're calling his sister, calling his brother, you know, calling, you know, mailing his work, you know, sending him a thing, but like, please, pretty please give me the 50 grand you owe me. Yep. Exactly. Wow, dude. Uh, I know we only have a limited amount of time left. I would actually love uh, to uh, maybe try to do a, a part two because uh, I love what you're doing. I love the way that you're systematically approaching this. I have another buddy that is a former Google developer and he's been doing this similar thing in the commercial space. He took it into multifamily and it's just like how he sees the world. And I don't even think he hasn't structured as as well as you have, but he's done and layered in other like tech stack things that like he just built his own like CRM platform. Like he just developed it. And I was like, oh, wait, there's some of these that already exist. Wow, that's actually better than ours. And I was just like, he's too smart to even realize that there's sometimes easy solutions. Before you move on from that, that's a big thing too, is I, I like to say like a friend and never lets a friend, you know, uh, create a SaaS business around their startup. So like as smart as people get and as good as they get, like all the tools you need are already out there. And so I think that's a, that people's brains that work like mine do, like his does, you end up wanting to build stuff that ends up taking you away from what matters. So I just want to touch on that because a lot of guys I know that, oh, I'm going to go build this. I'm going to go build that. Like it already exists. Just spend your time on using that to build whatever you're going to build. Yeah. And figuring out the connections or a Zapier or something else that all you have to do is connect two different. And there's some cobbled together kind of pieces of that. But, you know, it is a massive undertaking to build out new software and programs and you can go die a thousand deaths, especially if you're not taking on outside capital. Yep. hundred percent. That's a black hole for money. Yeah. Sometimes. And I like, I, and I love what your approach and same thing. He's a young, young guy. I think he might just turn 26 was the short path to, to money. He was just like, uh, that just seems too long. And he was like, here's, it's going to take me three years to be financially free if I do this, this, and this. And he just went and started executing it and rent an apartment in Reno and just, you know, started him and a couple of buddies cold calling and text messaging, you know, every commercial real estate owner in town. So it was interesting and definitely want to maybe connect you guys up. So I had a couple quick rapid fire questions. I know that you have uh, limited time here, but what is the book that you have gifted most to other people? Oh man, I don't, I don't get a ton of books <laughs> to be honest. The one I, the one I have recommended, um, a lot of them aren't really business books. I think business is more so anyone can be successful in business if they can kind of learn to emotionally regulate themselves with the ups and downs. Cause that's really all it is. It's, it's separating your identity from your business and letting the ups and downs handle themselves. So as long as you show up every day, the book I've, I have like reading is, uh, what was it called? Um, obviously there's the normal ones, traction and stuff like that, that I give out to a lot of guys in our group. But the one I would like to reading most recently is, is Alex Ramosi's $100 million offers book. Um, I thought it had a very good way to conceptualize, you know, what a good offer is. It even translates to real estate investors. Like, how do you package up your offer in a way where it's harder for sellers to say no to? Um, I think everyone, the lessons in that book, everyone can read and put parts of it into their framework, no matter what business they're in. So as someone, this next question is that eliminates friction is what is one thing or the thing that you have spent money on that has given you back your most time? That's a good question too. You know, other than people and hi hiring, right? That's obviously the big one. The other one for me is, you know, uh, I 
communities and networking groups. Because, you know, the things I learned in those groups end up giving me back time uh, one way or another. So I think that's the biggest thing, you know, spending money to go travel and be at, you know, these, these networking events, meeting guys that are ahead of me. Um, that's, that's the way. The big, another way, they're not only getting time back, but it accelerates your timeline. Because the way humans work that I've realized is who you're around, like it's cliche, but like who you're around develops your framework of what's possible. And at twenty, getting at 19 and 20, getting around guys like AJ Osborne and Ryan Pineda and James Daynard and, and Brandon, these guys, the way they think about the world, it's endless possibility, endless opportunity. You know, it develops a framework for you where like you can, it no longer feels weird to say, hey, if I make a million bucks a year, that's, that's not crazy. Um, so, you know, that's, that's another big piece that, that, that accelerated my timeline, not only got me time back in the short term. That's awesome. I love that answer. And, and a 100%, uh, that's a big, big clue of use your money to buy time. And that's, so that's kind of that one of core principles. Final thing is what is, you know, you've dropped tremendous amounts of, uh, nuggets and, and value to the audience. What is an ask and, and of the audience that they can help give you some value in some way? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, if you have, uh, if you're out there and you're struggling to, to get your first deal done, just stick it out. That first check will change your life. And I don't, I don't need anything from the audience, but more so when you guys do, you know, figure it out and you guys stick it out, shoot me. a me- I love to hear first deal stories. So when you guys get your first deal done, shoot me a message on Instagram, tell me about your first deal. Cause that's, that's the life changing one. Deal 400 is, does, does not feel like anything, but deal one, two, and three, that feels like that's, that's what every investor wants back. That's where they go jump into different asset classes. Cause they want, they want that first deal uh, feeling back. So yeah, I think just, uh, you know, the audience is just stick it out, whether the storm eventually it'll play itself out in a long enough timeline. If you give it enough time, you'll figure it out as long as you're, you're controlling the inputs you can. And then, you know, share, share your experience. I put out a tweet yesterday, but you know, going into 2023 with how much social media changed the world. Like if you're not putting out your message and sharing what you're doing, it's, you're only hurting yourself. So, um, that would be my ask. Awesome. I normally I'd ask, but I, I have all your social media stuff. So we're going to put that out in the show notes and reference and make sure that people uh, quickly just mention where the top place to find you on social media. And then uh, I have just a moment of gratitude I'd like to share with you. Yeah. Instagram's great. Uh, it's at Colbert Johnson and Twitter's the same. Those are the two I'm the most responsive on in terms of DMs. So those are my two best ones. Cool. I just want to give you a moment of, of gratitude, how thankful I am for you, your willingness to show other people, the path blazing it forward. I've also seen the way that you're giving out this information for free and it's life-changing information and, you know, telling your story, telling your story of, of business and how, you know, there's struggles and running to just almost out of money to hire the next person to go and, and boldly live into your purpose is empowering. And I see it, it's a impactful, purposeful. And I just want to really share that, that I think it is you know, the Lord's work that the God has put something on you that it is going to amplify beyond you and for multiple generations. And thank you for being on the Passive Wealth Principles show. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate you having me on. It was awesome. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.realestate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. 
It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.